This is Graphic Interventions. Hello, I'm Harriet Atkinson, a historian of art and design and the host of this podcast series, Graphic Interventions. In each episode, I interview one maker about one thing they've made, a poster, a banner, a zine, to discover why that thing came about, what it meant then and how it resonates now. My focus in this series of interviews is on how political conversations are initiated, enlivened and made visible through the graphic form. In this episode of Graphic Interventions, I meet Darren Cullen of Spelling Mistakes Cost Lives. He starts by introducing himself. Uh, Yes, so my name is Darren Cullen. I run kind of going to the name Spelling Mistakes Cost Lives is just basically the name of my website and became a kind of a AKA, I guess. But uh, yeah, I've been making works for roughly 10 years. Before that, I was in a band for a little bit. And before that, I was in art school. I initially studied advertising. That was how I learned how to come up with ideas and concepts and how to start implementing them. And it was halfway through my degree at Glasgow School of Art in in visual communication that I started to realise that I really didn't want to do advertising for a living, so changed to fine art. And so my practice is a bit of like a smashing of the two, of of, of like the kind of language of advertising and the graphic design of of that medium with, but in in an art context, I guess. Could you say something now about the piece that you've decided to focus on? I thought I'd talk about my mini Daily Mail, which is a shrunken down uh, version of the real paper. It's about uh, 10 and a half centimetres by 15 centimetres, something like that. It's like unstapled, a bit like a real paper printed on newsprint. It has like these satirical headlines, but the actual article themselves are, uh, are just scribbles. And, and that's, I should say it's all hand drawn as well. So um, I didn't actually have to uh, write any articles. I could just get away with doing uh, <laughs> the headlines, basically. And it's it's attempting to kind of satirise the warmongering, the misogyny, the racial hatred of the, the Daily Mail and kind of just try and uh, show it for what it is. On the front page, I describe it as Britain's angriest and horniest newspaper, which I think is an accurate summary of the mail. So I've, I've read a lot of the mail um, over the years. It's a lot of it's kind of filtered through. So I, I feel like I know the paper better than I should, really. It's quite an intimate part of my, my uh, childhood. Yeah, it's a, it's a mini miniature, horrible newspaper, basically. So how did you come up with that idea? Um, I think I'd had, like, for, for a while, I'd had things in my sketchbook that were kind of like fake uh, Daily Mail headlines. I didn't really have anywhere necessarily to put them. I'd, I'd done a few things previously. I'd done a, a Daily Express headline that was about stopping open-door emigration. It was like all the problems of uh, Brits going abroad. Um, and I'd done fake front pages of the sun and things like that. But this was like, I thought it was quite interesting to, there's something, I think a lot of my work has gone into kind of scale model stuff. I've done quite a few things that have been like about miniaturizing things. So the format, as, mu- as, mu- as well as having a go at the Daily Mail, which is like a large motivation for doing this, I like the idea of making the miniature version of it and the, having, it's got a little miniature um, magazine pullout as well uh, about Princess Diana, obviously obligatory when it comes to the mail. So I'd had like a, a bunch of these ideas kicking about in my sketchbook. And then I did a residency in Liverpool in 2018. 
They wanted to focus on how the, how the news media operate. And I'd done a couple of projects on that residency. And then towards the end, I thought I'd try and do this because I, I worked very well to uh, deadlines. Uh, <laughs> We had about two we had about two weeks left in the in the residency, and I thought, well, let's try and make a miniature newspapers. Uh, that's how it came about. And then after I gave it away for free on the streets of Liverpool, which was where the residency was, I made a little miniature newspaper stand and sat behind it with a high vis vest on, which was actually quite surprisingly difficult to to get people to take it. I mean, in Liverpool, obviously, there's a lot of hatred towards the sun, quite rightly. Um, so it was like lots of people that looked like they would enjoy it were not taking it, and all the people who looked like they were actually Daily Mail readers were like, oh, is this a new, this is a new uh, product from the Daily Mail? And they're quite happy to take a copy. And then after that, I did a Kickstarter to, to, to expand it and to reprint it. How, how big was the print run? This one was only maybe 300, maybe 400, something like that. It was, it's surprisingly um, difficult to print, um, especially on the small size as well. So it was... And I actually had it rejected by, I think it was three printers. I uh, would found, uh, along with the, the people who were running the residency who were helping me kind of with logistics of it initially, we managed to find a printer who was actually using proper uh, newspaper printing techniques. But they'd agreed to print it. I thought that's brilliant. They were sending me through details on how to set up the, the file so that the ink didn't saturate the paper to, and things like this. Um, and then sent through the artwork and they refused it because they also print stuff for the Daily Mail or like, things connected to them. And they didn't want to piss them off, basically, which I thought was very surprising. And then two other companies who followed up after that didn't want to i think they said they had qualms about copyright because it had the daily mail logo without it being changed maybe i don't know it sounded like an excuse as well they just didn't want to step on any toes i had this something similar happened previously i'd done a anti-army recruitment comic that had been refused by uh, two printers based on the fact that it was anti-army and uh, I mean, it's their prerogative. It was just very surprising and quite stressful when you're, when you're trying to get something done for a deadline like that. It sounds as if working with this particular format was really complicated. For the size of it, it's actually kind of expensive to print because it's difficult format, really. So yeah, there was a few times where the printers were just saying, could you do it bigger or could you do it in a way that make it a little bit easier for us? And what was but it was, with the size I, I, I basically just cut down sheets of paper until I unfolded them until I got something that felt like that was the the right size for it. Um, but with obviously the uh, the dimensions to be the Daily Mail dimensions, I didn't want it to look like a, just a folded over sheet of paper or whatever. You can understand by looking at it straight away that that the articles would be, are unreadable. So there's, there's no confusion about like, well, is this something that I should be able to read or not? Could you say a bit about how this piece works as political commentary or critique? I find particularly difficult is you you're trying to satirize it without recreating it, you know, like just just doing an exaggerated version of misogyny or racism or transphobia in this would it, it, then you've just made more of that stuff. So so that was something I, I ran up against a lot in this was um, I was trying to do like I, I I wanted to do something about the male's kind of record of transphobia and every every idea that I had was like well actually the males done something more ridiculous. So in the end, I had to do a story that was um, women and children first, how trans how transgender women could hog all the lifeboat seats on a sinking Titanic. And there's a little picture of the Titanic sinking there. 
So the Daily Mail's resident cartoonist is called Mac, and I think he retired quite recently. And if you look at some of the, his previous work for the paper, it's really shocking. Some really, really racist stuff in it. I was like, I, was, I, I thought it should have one of his cartoons in it, but everything, there's nothing, it's it's hard to exaggerate exaggerated racism in this way. And I, the, so I, I was hitting my head against a brick wall. That was the, the last thing that I, that was, that was holding up the, the print run of it. Um, and I had a few ideas. One of the ideas was just exaggerating um, one of his cartoons where it's, uh, it's something about the UK's borders and it was UK border and it had migrants walking over the border and then rats alongside it. And it was really sinister. Um, that's like a lot of connotations to Nazi propaganda and, and they were very obvious and so i did a version of that which was instead of saying the uk border sign it was daily mail offices and it had edl supporters and uh, you know Ku Klux clan people walking into the, the into the offices and mac with his cartoons and stuff but in the end i ended up leaving it out because it wasn't it was like i'm referencing a cartoonist that <laughs> i'm a little bit too deep in the lore of daily mail by this stage i don't know if i is everyone going to get what this is referring to? So I ended up leaving out and just going with a, a, was a little cartoon of uh, conservatives rolling out the new disability assessment test. And that's them uh, dunking uh, a woman in a wheelchair into uh, the lake like the old uh, witch trials. So this is always, like I say, it's always a tricky thing with these things to not recreate the thing that you're criticising. So how was it received? Very well, actually. Um it was yeah, it went down great on the streets of Liverpool. It was quite interesting because, especially when you're uh, not in a context of people expecting satire, so they take like when you're in the street and someone hands you something, you pretty much take it at face value. So there's a varying responses there. I think once it comes down to when it's on when I'm when it's online and when it's people are in my necessarily my audiencing they know what to expect to some degree it changes the joke a lot of it do you think there's a kind of cyclical nature to the subjects of satire which you can see sort of appearing and reappearing yeah i guess that's kind of like depressing aspect of Things like this is that uh, I'm sure there's like pages from this will still be relevant to the way Daily Mail reports on things in, in 10, 20 years. Why the Daily Mail? I mean, what? tell me more about your relationship with that paper. Because the things I've, I've this kind of relationship with the Daily Mail is that it's part of the reason that when I was, I had this paper around when I was 14 to 16, I guess. It was in a quite a, a right wing area. And so I delivered the Daily Mail, the Sun, the Times, the every day and it actually uh, led to me becoming almost joining UKIP when I was 16 because <laughs> I got fully indoctrinated I'd read the up to the end of the opinion pages on each of these papers every morning it completely just rotted my brain there's something I came to like later once I went to art school once I moved out of the house when I started to live a little bit I saw how ridiculous a lot of this stuff was but there's something that stayed with me with with the way that the Daily Mail reports on things in particular it's their angle is always how do we make our readers angry about this it's something that I remember from reading it was when I was actually a Daily Mail reader <laughs> would be I wanted to be angry about something whether it's political correctness gone mad or this you know something that like something anti-British or something like that now I'm kind of on the outside of it. I can see the way that they um, 
there's a lot of people writing about the way that the Daily Mail will take manufacture kind of culture war, something that's true, and, and build it into this whole whole thing. Can you tell me a bit more about how you start making a piece like this? I find I'm led by the idea itself. So say in the past, I've done uh, pocket money loans, which is a, a, a satirical payday loan shop for kids. That could have worked as a poster for, a, I realised that it would only be truly funny if it was an actual payday loan shop and, you know, it looked like a real business. So I was like, oh, fuck's sake, got to make an actual, <laughs> got to find a shop now. Like, it would be much easier if I could just do a comic about this or something. And I and I do like working in that way, that, like, the medium comes after the, the idea, but it, it can be very annoying as well, like painting myself into that corner. <laughs> Like, oh, I've got to figure out how to make animations now. <laughs> Are there particular artists or people working now or in the past whose work has sort of shaped any of your ideas? He's not necessarily an artist, but I think more than most. Uh, when I was at art school, I mean, and to this day, I was really inspired by Chris Morris. I look at like Chris Morris's work. It's it, what I really admired about it was that he would be incredibly cutting and biting when about the issues that he's referring to but at the same time leave enough space in there for just being quite silly at the same time (laughs) and like not everything in it has to be 100% like whoa this is the bad stuff and it just seems it seems very playful at the same time as it's super serious and that had a big effect on the type of work that I wanted to do but that I kind of my art school tutors weren't too pleased when I'm talking about that's my reference because they're like, no, well, what are your artistic references? I'm like, oh. Um, yeah, I think as well there's moments, whether whether it's in literature or in, or in art, or anytime that I've seen something that's like being able to rephrase a particular argument in a way that opens it back up again. So the front cover of the, the, the mini Daily Mail, that I've, uh, the headline is Rich People Failing to Integrate into British Society and a take on their uh, harassment of, of Muslims and other groups for not integrating or whatever. But initially what my idea for the, for the headline was going to be about traitor geologists who claim that Britain won't exist forever because the tectonic plates were going to move around and Britain is going to be subsumed under like whatever or like, I, I just think that, idea is quite funny because you think about it like no nation is going to last forever even the even uh the nazis as, as mental as they were they only thought they were going to last a thousand years you know so it's really strange bit uh, i find really interesting that aspect of nationalism that it's we're we're the best and we're going to last forever the reality of the situation is that we're probably not even going to last like 50 or 100 years in the current political setup That was Darren Cullen of Spelling Mistakes Cost Lives. If you want to find out more, go to spellingmistakescostlives.com. In the next episode of Graphic Interventions, I'll be meeting banner maker Ed Hall. In the meantime, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Graphic Interventions, please subscribe, rate and review wherever you're listening. Graphic Interventions is made by Harriet Atkinson and funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council. (laughs) 